Hello, I'm Felicia Vereen, always known as Fee. Hey, Fee, and I'm your girl, Sharita Three, better known as Red. And, and we, we are Inspire Her, Her, the Total Woman Podcast, a new podcast all about uplifting you. Yes. Because, friends, face it, you are awesome. We'll be chatting up about topics we love to talk about, all the things we as women must juggle every day and the ish we complain about. Who's listening? We'll chat about the struggle, the job, and about him. Mm. You know who we're talking about. That boo, husband, boyfriend, ex, whatever you're calling them today. Mm. Our lovely hellions. I mean, kids. Our angels. But seriously, friends, life happens, and we don't always get a chance to talk about it. We take it on the chin, and we keep it moving. Because that's what we were told to do. Yep. But here on Inspire Her, the Total Woman podcast with Red and Fee, we are the friends you love to hang out with. We We are are here here to inspire inspire her, the Total Woman. Yes. Well, hello, hello, everybody out there. Hey, Red. Hey, Fee. How are you, girl? I'm good. I, I, I am. I'm good. I'm feeling. I'm feeling okay today. A little okay. tired, but I'm okay. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. The end of the week, so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Always, always. We are back, guys, and today we are talking about. We are in the second part of our discussion. Um, did they protect and serve? Justice for Tyree Part Two. And um, during this discussion, we will be, the first time we talked to two two of our um, guy friends, one is from Kings Can Move On podcast, and the other one is one of our childhood friends. And they discussed um, how they felt as Black men, how they felt when they heard about the Tyree case. But tonight, we have a former police sergeant from the Savannah Police Force, um, Sherelle Brown. And um, she's going to be here talking to us about how she felt and um, things that um, she's dealt with when she was a part of the police force and answer some of those same questions that our guys answered um, on last weekend. And um, I see she has a little co-host. <laughs> we have, we have our, 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 our little dog over here. So we understand. We understand. But first, one of the things that we want to do is have our Black History Moment, because of course it's February and yes, it, it is. is Black History Month. But of course, you know we celebrate every day of our lives being Black. So, what is your Black History Moment this time, Sharif? I have two actually. Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who was the first poet to use Black dialect in his verse, he died on this date in 1906. And then I have Leroy Satchel Page, who was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1971, who played for, you know, the, the Negro League. So okay. he was elected okay. to the um, Hall of Fame. Okay. Well, I had one that I didn't even realize um and of course i love talking about martin luther king but i did not realize that he started morehouse at the age of 15. 15? 15. that's what that's what history says he started 
Morehouse at the age of 15. Now, that, that ain't awesome. history. I mean, I don't know how old people were when they went to college back in the day, but I don't remember anybody saying that they were 15. Unless they're genius. Wow. Okay. Hey, he was a very, very smart man. So He was. I'm going to go was. with that. I like that. I'm going to go with that. <clears throat> so... I am trying to um, do a share to a couple of um, people. There is. And um, I uh, hopefully will reach some of you. So hopefully if you are online, please share. Because one thing that I want to say first and foremost before we get started is we love absolutely love coming on here talking to you guys every thursday at eight o'clock but to help us out to help us to um spread the news about our show please share please share not only come on watch like like is important as well but please share to your pages we need to get our um, audience up we need to get our likes up. We need to get people to share. We need to make sure that people know that Inspire Her, the Total Woman with Red and Fee is here. Because we're giving up some good information, especially tonight with our special guests. So share, share, and share some more. Um, so tonight we are talking about Tyree Nichols. And I know some of you um have were were with us last week when we talked about him but this is part two and just to inform some of you if you have not heard about him which which is hard to believe mm -hmm. but january 7th tyree nichols was stopped in memphis in a memphis neighborhood for a traffic stop he was pulled out of his car and um he was um wrestled to the ground he um, he did run, I guess, because he was afraid. He 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 didn't know what was going on, and he said it. He said, "You guys are doing too much. What's going on?" But he ran, and they caught him, and he was beaten for three good minutes, and mm. we saw all of that on camera. And um, there have been um, five cops and more, as, as many as thirteen officers could end up being disciplined. But quite a few of them have to let go. And we are talking about the mainly the five um, cops, the Scorpion Squad, as they call them. Um, we got an opinion of two African-American, two black men um, who have experienced something like that. But today we wanted to talk to somebody from that had experience with the other side, somebody that worked as a policeman. So we are talking with former Sergeant Sherelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. Awesome. We appreciate you willing to come online. You know how many people we talked to that um, weren't comfortable coming online talking about um, mm -hmm. being a policeman. And, um, and I understand. I understand active duty policemen probably can't get online and say exactly how they feel for fear of repercussions. Um, but thank you so much mm -hmm. for coming online. And you are a woman, which fits right in with our motif, Inspire Her. We love to inspire women. So thank you for um, having the courage to come online and talk to us. 
So we'll start with asking you the question. When you heard about the incident that happened in Memphis on January 7th, how did you feel about it? I felt that there's no emotion to describe the feeling that I felt. Um, because fear, I would say, was one that I experienced. Um, heartbreak, um, abandonment, um, a whole multitude of anger. Um, just it was definitely one. <clears throat> I guess the feeling that one feels when they feel like they've had enough, exhausted, but that's just to touch on the surface. There's so many other emotions that one felt when they when they heard about it, because because I believe the footage came later. But just hearing about it again, right? It just makes you feel like when is enough enough, and when is it going to stop? Um, when is enough enough, and at what point? did one consciously say, I'm going to go to this extreme? Because you have extreme right. in every scenario. You mm -hmm. have baseline, you have extreme. And there's that middle point that most people try to stay in between so that the public says that that's reasonable, um, but extreme definitely is what I'm pretty sure a majority of people would say was the level that was illustrated and that right. was experienced. Okay. Now, I know um, you um, are familiar with the, because you're, you used to be a cop. So I know you're familiar with the body cams and the, you know, the street cameras and everything. Um, they didn't appear to care. How, how did, how, how do you not care Someone's recording you, and this is your job. They didn't appear to care. And then the one, um, I think it's about Demetrius Haley, I think they said his body cam was off when he got out the car to um, talk to him. But how, did, how do you not care? Didn't you have to make sure that your camera was on when you did stops or, or, or whatever you had to do? Pre-camera, pre pre-body-worn camera era for law enforcement, you got to think of what, what all instances happened that did not get captured on the camera. But now we operate in a society where there's cameras everywhere. However, cameras just tell you what a person's natural character is. Sometimes right. a person can hide that. Sometimes they consciously think about the camera being on. It may be second nature. And I think it was designed... Um, when they pitched it to the department that I was a part of, it's designed to be uh, protection for the officer and to provide uh, transparency to the public. Because there's a lot of things that the public, because they don't do what law enforcement does, understands why and how it can be done. But again, I think once the BWC body-worn camera era hit, everybody 
was put on notice that your actions at any given point, your words, your actions can be heard and can be reviewed by somebody, you know, a, a novel citizen. So um, the camera only really, really affects those who have compassion because if you're in front of your mom and you have a foul mouth, mm -hmm. it may slip out. You know you're in front of your mom. You're going right. to catch yourself because out of respect for your mom. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people who will say what they're going to say, regardless whether or not there's elders in the, in, the, in the room or there's pastors in the room. There's just that 1% or that small percentage of people that really have no filter, no layer of, okay, I'm going to be this way for this audience. I'm going to be this way for this audience. Some people just don't have the ability to hold back given certain circumstances. And I think that's what happened in that case. Um, and, and then you have habit, you have practice, and you have people slipping up because we, the department that I was a part of, we had policies in place mm -hmm. to where when they went through the era of it getting introduced to the department, you got to give some time for officers to get acclimated to it. So you have to give some... Um, some room for them to actually know that this is part of their work day. This is part of their resource. This is part of their tool. And after a certain period, there's no exceptions for, I forgot, you know, mm. because consequences come with the, I forgot. Um, because you got to think why, why did you, why would you leave your firearm home? Why would you leave your keys home? Why that's a part of your daily tools for being a police officer. Right. And the department that I was a part of, we have policies in place to every every citizen encounter, you will activate your BWC. And then that followed rank as well. Um, so from what I gathered, those individuals that were in that um that video, they weren't above the rank of let's say lieutenant. And you can mm. correct me if I'm wrong. So with our policy, we had things in place, measures in place that said anybody of this rank and below or anybody a part of a special task force or something of that sort, those are high um, high risk activities. So you definitely, even if it didn't apply to you, you definitely as a police officer, you want to have that body-worn camera footage on. Right, right. But... Even the conversation, but th these guys, they didn't care that we saw them beating this man. The way they were beaten, they they appeared to think that to me that this was okay. Like if I'm, and and I'm I'm just saying, if I um maybe if I didn't have a camera, I might have done that if I was that type of person. But even if I am, I know, let's just say I'm a cop and I'm known to do that kind of thing. Because I want to keep my job, I'm probably not going to do it because I know I got a camera above me, on me, around me. Um, it just appeared that they were used to that. I, I heard on the news that there was a man who they had beaten three days prior they took him to jail and the doctor sent him to the hospital hmm. because he needed to he needed to go to the hospital um but he didn't die 
but and he's now suing them as well. But how, how does do you just not care about your job or do you just think that you're going to get away with it? It's almost like they felt protected, like they were going to be protected. You know, like, oh, well, we can say we fear for our lives, where if the others can say, oh, we can fear for our lives or whatever. It's almost like they either they, their adrenaline was just and they weren't thinking clearly, but it's not one person, it's not two people. It's five people. Nobody stepped in to try to do anything or say anything. And that's the disheartening part about it. But it's almost like well, nothing's going to happen because we can say X, Y, and Z. They didn't think that they would be locked up and in prison, you know, so quickly. I don't think that I wouldn't imagine that they would. And all of them, it was a lot of people that were held responsible. Well, one, well one of them said that, that he reached for the gun, but on the video, no one's seeing that. But that would be the first thing you would say to protect yourself. He, you know, they always make the victims seem like they're not the victims. Try to twist it around and make them look like the bad person or the bad guy. He tried to run or he ran or he tried to reach for my gun or he wasn't so easily to go down. So <clears throat> this level of force. I get it. I, I mean, so, I get it. I Go ahead. I was just going to ask, Sherelle, what, what do you think should have happened during the stop as a formal officer? What do you think should have happened? That what happened should not have happened. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. Point blank, period. Um, we should not even be having this discussion. Um, but unfortunately, it did happen. And fortunately, there's video footage to actually account for what took place and um, definitely for the department that I was a part of, a traffic stop does not elevate to that level. If it's a minor traffic infraction, there's several things that are in place when you conduct in a traffic stop. First of all, what time of day is it? The, the level of traffic, how close your backup is, if you know the offender, um, but for it to get to that point for the department I experienced and I was a part of, we had measures in place to prevent those type of activities from occurring for, for those. Definitely, definitely. It, it does not elevate to that level. I, I don't, I don't believe there was any reference of him being armed. Mm. No. They couldn't even find video where he was swerving or doing anything wrong prior to the stop from the street cameras, which. I still just feel like it was personal, but I could be wrong. I mean, until we have all, all of the facts, it's hard to really say um, what what justified their actions there's no justification behind that or what led to their to those extreme actions um i'm pretty sure there's plenty of law enforcement officers or people that somewhat are allies of law enforcement can safely say as a community 
that what took place was extreme and it should not have taken place. Like mm -hmm. I said, I don't believe there was a reference of a firearm. So a threat was not there. From the information that I have access to, I believe it was a minor traffic infraction. I, for the department that I was a part of, it, it, it doesn't escalate to that level for a minor traffic infraction. Mm -hmm. I've experienced situations where a person refused to sign the traffic citation. Even still, they may be verbally uh, combative. Physically, no, it is not going to escalate to that point. Right. You, you, and he you, wasn't. He human, nature, human nature. And then you got a, a level of getting frustrated because it's human nature mm -hmm. with an officer for somebody not following your orders or your commands during a traffic stop. But even still, if there's no physical threat or you don't have prior knowledge of this person being violent, it does not elevate to that level with that many officers. Right. There's several, there's several ways that that could have taken place. Several ways. But those ways weren't utilized that night. So I'm not sure what premises was used for them to, first of all, get them out of the car. Mm. That's 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 the big question. So how many of their how many of his civil rights do you think that they violated? One A too lot. Many. <laughs> One too many. A mm -hmm. lot. One too I many. mean, because when he came to the car, mm -hmm. he was being forceful. I mean, get the f out the car. Like I said on the last session, when I've been stopped the police officer comes to the side of the car and he says, ma'am, do you know what I stopped you for? And there's been a couple of times, like I said, I said, no. And they told me and he either gave me a ticket or he let me go. So I, that I, exchange, that, that exchange in itself, it doesn't have, okay, you got me. I've committed a traffic infraction. I'm mm -hmm. at a traffic stop. Why does it need to elevate at the initial point to disrespect or to being um, chastised? You're an adult. Obviously, you're driving on the roadway. So you've committed a traffic infraction. And unfortunately, at that date and time, you got stopped. So right. I'm going to let you know, as a law enforcement officer, the reason for the stop, I'm going to ask you for your identification, proof of registration and all that kind of good stuff. But why does it need to elevate to profanity? For the department right. that I was a part of, that, defi that definitely read there was a policy violation for our department. Mm. Right. So right. I don't know how that department's culture is. I don't know whether or not that's standard interactions when, you, when they're conducting a police stop. But for the department that I served at for 10 years, that would have never taken place. And if there was a pattern of this being a... Uh, how an officer is initiating traffic stops, they wouldn't have a long career. Those individuals right. are not the individuals that make it into those specialized units. Right. Of course, depending on the area, if you have a high area that's you know being played with a lot of crime and a lot of drugs and all that kind of stuff, you have special task force that you put in those places. But in those places, you have law-abiding citizens as well. So how do you differentiate between a person that's going to be compliant with your traffic stop, a person that's not? So you don't just start your interaction with profanity. 
as a police right. officer. You know, it would no. be interesting to know if he had any other run-ins with the police or had heard stories of people that were close to him that had run-ins with the police and they were beaten or whatever. I'm just curious as to why he decided to run. I mean, he could have had a bad experience or heard about a bad experience with the police. We have a long comment. I, um, I think he ran because he was scared. He was getting beat up <laughs> initially. Like when they okay, pulled so him out of the car, they were trying They were trying to put cuffs on him and he was a little too fast for them, I think. They never really okay. got the cuffs on him. And... Um, and um, they were cursing at him, and he kept saying, y'all doing too much. And he, they kept saying, well, um, get on your back or get on your stomach. Or, and he said, okay. He never cursed at him from what I heard. And um, they were cursing at him, and, and they were going, you know, they were going at it, trying to get the cuffs on him. Mm. And I think, I think he got scared, and he ran. He was running towards his, I think he lived right down the street. Um, wow. Yeah, because there's was a lot of questions regarding that that traffic stop. Um, what what type of call did they just come off of? What was their adrenaline just pumped up from that previous interaction? I'm I'm just I'm just curious because for you to have that sort of elevated adrenaline on the traffic stop, if you don't know this person. That's coming from somewhere. That's what we were saying. Like, is it is it personal? It just felt like it was. Did personal. you know? Did you know him? What was it? Something going on? Or is this just how you guys treat people? Mm. I mean, you know, it's. Well, we have a question. Um, Frank wants to know what is considered being compliant. Okay, so regarding my experience in law enforcement. For a traffic stop, is that what we're speaking to, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for a traffic stop, an officer sees a violation. An officer initiates a traffic stop. They make contact with the driver. They tell them the reason why they're getting stopped, and they ask for identification, which normally comes in the form of a driver's license, proof of registration, and all of that kind of good stuff. If the driver provides that information, that is considered compliant. Mm. There can be an exchange of questions or a dispute there. They can ask questions. Um, but at the end of the day, if the officer observed a traffic violation, that gives them grounds to make a traffic stop and ask for whatever identification that they need regarding that uh, driver and the registration of the vehicle. Okay. Frank got a lot of questions. Is there any type of ongoing mandatory training that officers have to take? In regards to that question, I only work for one police department. So I can only speak to how our police department was ran. And yes, there's mandatory training that officers have to take. Um, we have to take for the department that I work for, we had to take uh, training every year. And um, there's mandatory training and there is also training that if an officer sees something that will be beneficial to their tool belt not just their tool belt physically the tool belt up here mm -hmm. 
they can take that training and get a little bit more understanding as to what tools can be used giving certain circumstances. They can share that information if they found value in it with their um, fellow officers. They can actually do a roll call training on that. And if your supervisor or your sergeant sees or comes across some training that they believe is going to be beneficial to the unit, it might not be mandatory, but they can present that to their unit in roll call training. And this is done on a continuous basis for the department that I work for. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. So uh, have you ever experienced having to um, deal with um, excessive force or having to um, maybe somebody wasn't doing exactly what you said and, 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 and they were being um, belligerent and, and using a little force with you? Um, how do you de-escalate that? So first off, if a situation arises and it's just one person out there, officer safety, you always try to get your back up. That's just a practice that we do. We, we, that's how we operate it. Um, you got more numbers on your side, which eliminates or reduces the chances for it to raise to that level of force. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, like I said, tool belt. We have a verbal judo, which we are trained on how to speak to somebody to get them to calm down. Because if they're up here, calmer minds prevail. You're not going right. to be able to get through to them. First of all, the person knows when they've done something wrong, for the most part, most of us know, oh, I was speeding, I need to slow down. Whether or not you own up to that or not, it's on you. But calmer minds prevail. Once you figure out that this is a person that you're not getting anywhere with, you can relay on or rely on your backup. Perhaps they may have a better rapport with that person. And in my circumstances, oftentimes I'm a female. So I have a different type of touch with maybe a male or a female officer. And it's been vice versa. Sometimes female individuals I encountered, they didn't want anything to deal with me. Sometimes it was the opposite. Um, but when it got to that level, pepper spray. Pepper spray mm -hmm. always get you get you some compliance. And even still, we had measures in place um, to prevent it from getting to a physical point because it's actually more um, risky for it to get physical for the officers. Because you got, you got other things in place too. I know, I think someone said earlier that um, someone had, I think that was one of the comments a situation, some, or you said it, somebody ended up having to go to the hospital. They, no, they said, mm -hmm. We had yeah. a similar to that. And in the VCU area, a young man was stopped because he was speeding. He got out of the car when the officer asked him to get back in the car. The young man did not comply and it showed him going for the cop's gun. I believe he was tased and injured, but paramedics were called immediately. This man should have stayed in the car, and in this case, the cops were not wrong. I get it, but in this case, yeah. the cops were wrong. <laughs> so let me. Ask um, you were saying something about um, um, something that somebody said something about going to the hospital. Oh yeah, um, we have measures in place if a level of physical force is exerted on anybody that is going to be arrested before they even go to the jail they have to go to the hospital to get clean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, a lot of times some offenders would use that as a delay before they get booked 
you know, but it was a measure that was automatically in place. You you got to go to the hospital first because right. the jail will not take you saying that you've been injured in police custody. Now the custody is transferred. So oh, okay. if you were injured in custody of police, police needs to make sure that you're cleared by a physician to be able to go and hand off that custody to the jail. That makes sense. Makes that makes sense because then nobody can say, can put any blame on you. This was this way before it got to us. That, that so, makes complete sense. So I wanted to ask you about this bleed blue mentality and turning a blind eye. How do you feel about that and how did you manage that? The, you know this whole I will, blue line. I will say this. I will compare it to you have a family, you have certain things that you share in your immediate household that mm -hmm. you know when you go to the cookout or you know when you go to the neighbor house, y'all don't talk about that. Y'all acknowledge it, y'all talk y'all talk about it inside the house. You even know what family members you you mesh well with, which ones you don't. Y'all the same family, you might not agree with their values and how mm -hmm. they operate but that's their house. You don't try to mandate or manage their house. So to a certain degree, there's always, you know who you work with, you know the people that you work with who have good intentions that you know the people who you work with that just like to poke. poke. Mm -hmm. We all have that. I don't care what space you're in, but in law enforcement, um, it really requires a lot of confidence because oftentimes if you happen to witness something that can hurt us all because we've taken the same oath. We're expected mm -hmm. to protect and serve at the same level. You got to say something. And yes, it might not be a comfortable conversation. It might be very un uncomfortable for a while. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to live with yourself regarding what actions you took. Because we have to, in law enforcement, we have to do extra work to gain right. the respect from the community. If mm. the community does not give you and grant you the grace to perform and execute your duties as a law enforcement officer, your life is a whole lot more difficult as a law enforcement officer. Um, there have been times where you have to blow that whistle and you have to accept exactly the actions that's coming with it. Everybody has two things, choices, and what you do with those choices that you made. If you witness something as an officer that the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, you know that mm -hmm. it just doesn't sit right with you, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to play it back and forth in your head. You're going to consult with somebody else. You're going to see whether or not, am I overthinking this? And if they don't match up with what you're saying or what, you're, what you've experienced, it's still going to plague you. So you're going to have to do what you have to do. Oftentimes that results in writing a statement, um, having some conversation with superiors or having a conversation with uh, officers who may have done something that would be shameful if it were publicized on the newspaper. You have right. to break bad habits and you have to be extreme with it. We, Like I said, the I only have one department and experience to compare it to. I've never worked at any other department mm -hmm. um, in law enforcement. But you have to set the standard for what is and what is not acceptable. How accessible is mental health or our mental health therapists to officers who 
maybe witnessed or seen, you know, things that play over and over in their head or maybe have some acute stress disorder, some post-traumatic stress disorder, that kind of stuff. Is that readily available? It is readily available. Now, whether or not the officer has the courage to actually utilize the resource, mm -hmm. you know, we always provide the resource. That resource is automatic and it even extends to officer's family because an officer experienced a traumatic, just for sake of conversation, a traumatic experience such as having to use deadly force, that experience doesn't just stay with that officer. They go back home. Their mannerisms change, their character changes, their alertness changes, their tolerance changes. So you can't just offer a resource like that for the officer. It extends to the family as well. And um, a lot of officers find themselves using that resource, especially it depending mandatory. If you take somebody's life, I think that should be mandatory. But well, that's if you take somebody's life, I hope you're going to jail. <laughs> well, it could be in a not like the Tyree situation. It could be a situation where that's they were actually yeah and doing it even if you're justified in doing it it still will play on your mental depending on what type of person you are so I when they do something like that you're saying that it's up to the police officer to go get help they don't make it mandatory for you to go get help before you can come back to work no yeah, you have to be evaluated by a psycholog uh, psychologist to make sure you're mentally capable of still performing your duties but you do not have to, it's not mandatory that you see a therapist. I mean, I could tell you mm -hmm. anything, a psychologist seeing them maybe for an hour or so, you know, depending oh. on when it happened. A lot of times in PTSD, it doesn't happen right at that moment. That could happen or be triggered at any moment. Exactly, you're correct. You know, so I just feel like something like that, it should be mandatory. But even still, when you make a person, when, when you make a person seek help, you're not going to get, that person's not going to get the full benefit of that. Law enforcement can't That's make a person experiencing uh, an episode take their medication. And their medication might be better, might put them at a better state. We can't make them take their medication. It's the same way with seeking um, help regarding your mental state. We just, they are required to make sure they're evaluated before returning to full service. Yeah, until they do something else or, you know. So have you ever, have you come across officers who do something wrong and one officer wants to say something but doesn't because he feels the other officers will have it in for him or her so they stay silent? Kind of like that bleed blue kind of mentality or turn the blind eye? Well, I'm going to speak on, obviously, the experiences that, that I can't speak on. Mm-hmm. Most watches have a group or a co-worker that they mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. speak to and review all of their actions with, you know? So you have like a buddy, a, a, beat, a beat buddy. And mm -hmm. regarding the beat buddy, depending on the type of call or the type of way the call was handled, you might have somebody that's a little bit more... Uh, vocal, a little bit more confident that drives you into a different direction. 
So you may allow them to take the lead on whatever it is that you're doing. So you can't have those situations where an officer may feel like, mm, I wouldn't have did that, but they allow it to happen. Mm. Like the Chauvin going back to the George Floyd situation. There are the officers stood there and watched them. Yeah. And in this situation, these guys called for backup to catch this guy because he was running. And one guy said it on camera. He said, man, I ain't know. Is this the right guy? Because I didn't know who he was talking about. I just saw a guy running and I ran after him. And, you know, then these guys are holding them while this uh, Demetrius Haley guy is pounding him with fist and kicking him. It was just like, do you guys care that this is on camera and that all of you are getting ready to go down for this? Like me personally, I understand bleed blue, but I also have to, you have to understand that I have a family to look after myself and I'm not going to jail for you, but they are, they're going to jail because they allow this to happen. And they let this man sit there for about 20-some minutes while this Demetrius Haley guy went to get the pepper spray off of his face because he had got sprayed in the process. Mm. You're not going to make me lose my livelihood mm -mm. because of your ignorance. The other two guys that caught up with him when he ran could have said, man, what's going on? Let's just take him to jail. Or they could have said, stop. All right. I think they that's what it. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, why would you feel that it was okay to continue this after well, the boy <laughs> ran? Yeah, but it probably wasn't the first time they did it to be so comfortable doing it. This probably someday, and do that's all the problem. Yeah, and that's the problem. That is the problem. Now, let me ask you a question you can answer or, or say you don't want to answer, but if if you knew these cops, or maybe even was one of them what would you have told them that night like we know what you tell the the perp or the person is being arrested to calm them down but what would you have told me because they were they were hyper after they got him the second time when he ran and then i felt at one point they were doing it for the camera like they were saying man he almost hit my car and he grabbed for the gun i think they i thought they were doing that part for the camera to to come up with um their well, reason for what they did if 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 he in fact grabbed the firearm and only one person seen it I could see it getting to that point. But once you have them in handcuffs, the physical stops. Right. right. They're in handcuffs. They immediately going into the back of the patrol car. That's it. There's no reason to continue the physical because there's no threat. They're already subdued. They're in handcuffs. Anything beyond that, unacceptable. Unacceptable. They put him up against a car, Sherelle. They put him up against the car, let him sit there, and was asking him what kind of drug was he on. This man was, he was like, oh, and I'm sorry, don't. I, I'm just mocking what he was doing. But he was like, oh, I mean, he could not communicate. That's how bad they had beat him at that point. They left him there for 20 minutes before they got him any kind of help. 
We, that is the department I work for, we wired differently. You you don't do that because mm -mm. we all know what is acceptable behavior and what's not. You know who your supervisor is. You know what things they are and are not going to tolerate. Right. Off top. You so that leads me not, to believe that you know whether or not you, your actions will cause you to be out of work or your actions will be pacified mm -hmm. because everybody got a boss to answer to. That's true. If you believe I think somebody you're, pacified, you're going to continue, you're going to continue in the behavior that is unacceptable exactly. while we have this podcast and this conversation today. And, and that's what be, I believe been in some of those higher ups that's firing them now need to get fired as that well. behavior. And I also think is this is just my opinion that they didn't think that what result in such extreme, which they needed to be extreme mm -hmm. results and consequences. Yeah, it, that behavior was probably encouraged by the higher ups for them to be so comfortable doing it, especially on camera. And I know for the most part, there's yeah. always conflicting orders. You want proactivity. You, you mm -hmm. want that from your office. You want numbers because you want to show that you're being tough on crime because some crime needs to be tough. But there's still an element of professionalism that people expect that your uniform requires and that your badge and your oath requires of you. Anything beyond right. that, what's the separation from the police and a suspect? Right. The uniform is, is that that's it. Because let's take off the uniform. Would those actions still been have been okay if they, they didn't know those were police officers? Mm. No, ma'am. That's no, why every time, even when you're in plain clothes for the department that I work for, I keep I keep referencing that. Even in plain clothes, if you're after a suspect, you have to identify yourself as a police officer because you know you're gonna handle yourself differently if you're a bad guy, right? If you're running from the op or if you're running from the police, right? Because even if you know that they almost got you. Mm. If they say they're the police and they got you, you just got to lay down. You're going to have to lay down and take that ride for that night. Your level of fear should go down for physical harm if you know that the person has identified themselves as a police officer. Now, right. your level of fear for those consequences because of the criminal justice system should go up mm -hmm. because your number right. has been called that day. But you should not be in fear of your life, physical, mm -mm. due to the police being after you. And that's something that is going to take us ages, ages to get beyond. I, we used to have conversations all the time with the youth when I would go into school and talk to the youth because I, it's an uncomfortable conversation because I'm not all, I wasn't always in uniform. I have siblings. I have children who are driving and at mm -hmm. any given day, they may be interacting with the police. I want them to know how to interact with the police. I want them to know what needs to happen during that exchange. Can you share that? What needs That's to what happen? That's what I was going to say. Can you, yes, can you share actually, that? One, one of the, one of the um, initiatives that I was a part of that I, I'm going to brag on myself, um, it was called Sowing the Seed. So on the seat, I was going out to high schools, high schools and interacting with people. I, I, I used the target group to be 
teenagers that were driving. Because when you're driving, your chances of interacting with law enforcement is up. You're a young driver, you're an inexperienced driver. Unfortunately, statistics, you're a young driver, you're going to get in a vehicle accident at some point within three years of having a driver's license, especially in the area that, that I worked in. So you're going to interact with law enforcement. It might be uh, a good exchange. It might be a bad exchange, but it's always going to be on your side if you handled yourself correctly during that exchange. Because for the department that I worked for, we had measures in place. That officer will have that body-worn camera, camera activated during that exchange. There's a 30-second, I think it's 30-second or 20-second delay from the audio but the video is there. So the officer, just for sake of conversation, exits their car. They activate the camera. So it didn't catch the audio from them walking from their vehicle to the car to interact with the driver. But it caught maybe five seconds into the conversation. And you know, based off demeanor, whether or not the officer greeted them or attempted to chastise them. And that can be called into question. We have what's called Office of Professional Standards. So a citizen, they could have been on the right side of things or on the wrong side of things, always have the opportunity to go and file what's called a, um, uh, make a report regarding unprofessional conduct with officers. Mm -hmm. It's every, every, <laughs> one of those is investigated really for the department that i work for i mean it's it's i mean yeah that's good the department that you work for but you would think it should be universal across all departments which is the, the curriculum at all schools is different all schools they're supposed to be teaching right right they're supposed to be well, teaching they're supposed to have the same curriculum right that's but right. I guarantee you, every school you've gone into, they run things different. They do. You're okay. absolutely right. That's true. That's true. That's true. That is, um, I know uh, one of the guys that we talked to last time on the podcast, he told us that whenever he's being stopped, one of the first things that he does is he calls his wife and puts her I heard that. I on heard speakerphone. That. Mm -hmm. He says he gets all of his information. Mm-hmm. And gives it to the officer, even if the officer says, I don't need all that. Well, you're going to get all of that because I don't want you to think I'm reaching at any time. And he puts his hands on the steering wheel. I think that's perfect. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it, it, I understand the extreme measures that he, he, he was illustrating that he goes through because that process makes him comfortable. Um, but we got to do things better. We got to do things better in law enforcement because we just got to do things better. A person should okay. not immediately be on red for an exchange like that. If it's a traditional, I have to admit, when I get stopped by the cops, my my, I'm, I I feel a little scared, and I'm a woman. And you, know? you on mute? It's because of what we've seen in the media. It's because of what we see happening. You know, so everybody is on edge. Yeah, it's right. not. Just Man, because look at the Sandra Bland situation. I Everybody mean, is on edge. Yeah. Right. Right. Hi, cutie. Yeah, oh, man. This is, um, we are, you know, listen, 
We appreciate you coming on here and talking to us and being being very blunt with us on, you know, what you experienced here in Savannah. And um it's 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 gotta stop. It it really does. And it's and I think personally that it is going to take other police officers to say, listen, we're not having that. We not we're not gonna do that here. One thing that I did, like I mentioned last time, that I that I did hear from a source that was um um pretty trustworthy is that there's these units, of course, all around all around the cities. And sometimes, like you said, these units are put in these neighborhoods to do just that, scare the hell out of the, the people in those neighborhoods into compliance. Um and I kind of think sometimes these men that do that, that are on these squads, force. you know, they they use force. And sometimes they don't know how to stop using that force because they're used to treating these people like that. And they, they compare everybody. And you could do one little thing and I'm comparing you to the dude that just tried to take my gun or just tried to hit me and they're on 10 every time they stop somebody well this little boy he was calling for his mama you know once i hear that i'm like in my mind because i consider myself a good person if i'm a cop or somebody around there i'm gonna say this dude calling for his mama he ain't no threat to us mm -hmm. Like you said, especially once he got in handcuffs. So, of course, we're going to have to wait until they take this to trial and see what all falls out. And I'm going to be paying attention because one of the things that we do, and I'm talking to our audience now, one of the things that we do is we get all excited about these events as they happen. And then after a while, it kind of falls to the wayside until another one comes along. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm going to continue to um, bring attention to this and, you know, see what see what I can do in, in my part of town. Um, see what I can do to help somebody else. See what I can do to bring attention to these. Because it's, it's not a white cop on a, on, a, on a black kid or a black person. I mean, this was black on black. Mm. So now... We don't, I mean, we still have the issue because we know that it happens, but right now it, there's no color to it. It is black crime and some, I mean, it is, it is police brutality against a black person. Um, I, some, they got on me last time because I said, let's take the color out of it. And I think people misunderstood what I was saying. The color, he was black, and we experienced police brutality a lot with our black young men or black men, period. And, of course, we had a woman. And those ones that we don't know about. But when I said take the color out of it, I meant as far as policemen, whether it's a white policeman, a black policeman, an Indian, Asian, whatever it is. We need to stop the forcefulness of it all we need to stop hearing about 
our black men being killed or beat up or whatever is happening um, at the hands of a police officer. So I had to come back and make sure that people understood what I was saying. I'm not taking the color out of the victim. I, I don't want any police officer to use force with our black men, women that cause this type of brutality, death, mm -hmm. whether they beaten beyond recognition, um, regardless. It just shouldn't be happening anymore. And we got to stay on top of it. You know, we got to make sure that if we see something in our neighborhoods, pick your phone up and cut the video. I mean, record it. Mm -hmm. If you see something, don't just walk away and say, oh, that's that's just, that ain't my business. That's, it needs that's to be our business too. now. We need to unlearn that. Because in many spaces, and I'm pretty sure everybody has had an encounter like this. They've seen something that was unacceptable or didn't sit well with them, but it ain't have nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. You just witnessed somebody being chastised, somebody being um, dehumanized mm -hmm. or belittled, disrespected. Mm -hmm. You witnessed it after the perpetrator or the person who did it. I don't care who what their position is. After they walk off, now you're going to console the person. It ain't never happened to me. They won't do that to me. So what's your purpose for coming over here? You know, you never want people to feel like they have no voice. When a person feels like they have no voice, they automatically back in a corner. And mm -hmm. that's when extreme measures take place. Right. Your defense mechanism is up. When a person has no voice, but mm -hmm. when you are experiencing a situation that's many people have experienced and you have somebody to say that shouldn't happen you know we gonna go through you got a witness there you've created a witness okay because mm -hmm. my word against your word we're going back and forth all day but i got a witness that witnessed this exchange right we got to do things differently we got to start we got to unlearn that it didn't happen to me so i ain't gonna say nothing i'm gonna stay out of that that's your business we got to unlearn that because that mm -hmm. does never that never works well for anybody because when it happens to you, now you want, help. Now mm -hmm. you want somebody to say, you remember how they did you. Now mm -hmm. you want a witness. Right. But it didn't happen to you the first time. Right. Right. You're absolutely right. And listen, I appreciate you coming online with us and inspire her and spending this time and your little man let us see if you don't mind. He keeps coming, <laughs> he keep coming over here. <laughs> Uh, what's his what is his name say hi my name is levon hi levon look at them cheeks hey. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you because we know i knew that you had been telling me that you were going to be traveling but you was going to still do it and i just appreciate you for coming on i appreciate you us. for having the courage you, you ladies for having the courage because a lot of people don't want to talk about it for various reasons, mm -hmm. but you don't right. want to talk about something that hits home until it hits home. Yeah, you I have to want everybody to listen. Then, yeah, you know, because I, I know if it happened in my, if it happens mm -hmm. in my household, I'm gonna be at the top of the mountaintop. Yeah, it's so sad. 
It is. It is. And um, is there anything that you want to you want to say before you leave to our audience? I know you said a lot, and I appreciate that. But is there anything that you want to say? Um, I, I would encourage encourage. I know a lot of people feel differently about community oriented policing, but I would encourage the community to get more involved with what, what that means. Mm. Because I use a lot of analogies. If you have a child in school and you're not satisfied with the level of education that they're getting, mm -hmm. you're gonna seek some you're gonna let somebody know. Now, if you're in a community and you're not satisfied with the level of policing that you're getting, please be active. Please be active because you might speak to somebody who has the ability to change that. You know, right? get involved with your city council or get involved with anybody who can be a liaison so that you as a community member have some say so and how your community is being policed who is policing your community and making sure that the consequences are consistent and uniform. Mm. And they just don't give extreme consequences based off the who and the where. There needs to be consistency. And that's only gonna come when you have more community members that are active and that really have some say so and some courage to go to these community members who advocate for community oriented policing and let them know what their expectations are. That's good advice. That is, that is definitely good advice. I appreciate that. You don't just want them out there when there's a problem. Right. Right. Well, I appreciate you tonight again, and our, our guests appreciate you. Valerie said thank you. Thank um, you for having me, and thank you, ladies, for having that courage. Thank you so much. Enjoy well, your vacation. You on vacation? No, I'm just traveling back and forth. Oh, um, two different states. I got to keep commuting to two different states, three oh, different wow. states tomorrow. <laughs> That's a lot. Well... Well, once again, thank you so much. And I wish you all the success in your new endeavors. I know you, like you said, you're former sergeant and you've moved on to something different. But I, I wish you much success in your new endeavors. And thank you so much for agreeing to come on Inspire Her. Thank you, Inspire Her. Thank you for having me. You're Good welcome. Night. Signing Good off. Night. Good thank night. Man, awesome. She um, she gave us some good information. She didn't hold back anything. Um, I I appreciate her for mm -hmm. coming on and and giving it to us real. Because yeah. we do have to our communities. We do have to start doing something. Because if anybody saw what was happening on that night and didn't do anything. Let's say it. They did have some people, um, which we heard, which I heard the other day, that were taking some videos. So of mm -hmm. course we'll be hearing about that as more and more information coming mm -hmm. out as um, time goes by. Um, it's a sad event. That I'm gonna keep it in the forefront and make sure that I know what ha what happens with it. So. 
Well, that's all I have for tonight. And um, Valentine's Day is coming up. It is. Next Tuesday. Yeah. I want to know. We might play around with a topic next week. Because I want to know what these men out here doing for Valentine's Day mm -hmm. and whether they even care. Some men like, that's a man-made holiday. I'm ninth. I don't care about that holiday. And it's really not a holiday. It's a day. Yeah. A holiday, I, I, I get off. I got the day off, right? <laughs> That's a holiday. Right. Now, we want to know, look, we might put a post out there. Men, because we got some men on that, that follow Inspire Her. We want to know how you feel about Valentine's Day. Do you think that it's a day for you to um, show your honey how much you care? Or is it just a man-made holiday to spend, make men spend some money, make people spend some money? Let us know. I want to know. And the restaurant. Huh? I say yes, that's a good question. The restaurants make plenty of money too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They add a little they add an extra percent on there for Valentine's. You know, you're coming out and um bringing your honey. Or you might be coming out bringing your honey and then a couple of hours later you might be taking your side piece. <laughs> so this scary dummy says ladies holiday. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, we yep. benefit more so than the men do. Yeah, we, we do. Buy, we, we do. Buy gifts too. We buy gifts too. It may not be, you know, as elaborate as what they buy, but we buy gifts too. Well, we're gonna be talking about that. Um, there's a man made, and I hate it. <laughs> gonna force you to buy something. Well, you don't have to buy anything. You can go home and cook her a nice meal, rubber feet, and that's another question, women. So we want to ask the men, um, and then we're going to get off, get off of here. But we want to ask the men, we're going to put that post out there. Is it a man-made holiday, um, or or do you feel like it's a day for you to you know give show your honey some special time, or she show you some special time? And women, if your man comes home, fix you a nice dinner, and rub your feet or something, is that okay? Or are you one of the women that got to have, got to go out? Got to get a nice gift. You know, are you okay with just the affection or do you need that monetary or physical gift? Mm, that's a good question. Most men wouldn't care if they got anything. Um, I guess it depends on the man. But I guess that's a true statement, a fair statement, most men. It's, it's a very few men that, hmm. Well, I guess the men I know they probably don't care if they got anything. Well, we're gonna save this. This is gonna be a mm. this is gonna be a conversation for later. But thank you guys for joining us tonight and um, bearing <laughs> with us because this was an important topic for us, and um, we we wanted to we wanted to dig into dig in deep. So thank you guys for sticking with us and um, mm. chatting with us about this. And there is, we only love it if we got a man. If we don't have no man, we hate it too. Especially on Facebook, seeing all the other stuff and hearing about all the gifts that people with men got them. So if we don't have a man, we don't love Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, it's okay. The best gift is from the heart and doesn't have to cause a thing. I agree. 
All right, guys, we're going to say good night. And I'm going to wish you all a um, happy Valentine's Day ahead of time because we won't yeah. see you guys again until after Valentine's Day. Yeah. So have a good night. Like yes. I used to say on Soul Train. Peace and soul. <laughs> we are here to inspire her. The total woman. Yeah.